First of all, let me uh, let everyone know that there will be no class, no class next week, and there'll be no youth assembly uh, because of the long weekend, okay? No class, no youth assembly next weekend, so be aware of that. Yesterday, if you happen to have come to the tea that was held for Margaret in honor of her 90th birthday, then one of the things that you may have heard is that when we gathered uh, during the afternoon in the fireside room, Wayne McKeg stood up and he made the comment. He said to Margaret, Margaret, we just want to let you know that you were not over the hill. To which Margaret responded, that's because I can't find the hill. <laughs> and there, I can't recite all the one-liners that she gave in responses to, to people yesterday afternoon, but it was amazing. Like, I, like she just had me in stitches time and time again making those kind of comments. It was absolutely wonderful. And I thought, she's 90 years old, and you talk about still got it. Like, she really has still got it. Margaret, because you still have it, we'd like you to come, if you would, and to take a place in this chair right down here. Would you please do that for us? I would appreciate it. We're going to have Margaret come up on the platform today, but she's been having some trouble with her legs, and she couldn't get up here. And she said, Kelly, can I sit down in a chair on the floor? And I said, that's just fine. So we're glad to have you come and take a seat here. This is a position of honor today. It is, uh, it's not traditional within Churches of Christ for us to do a whole lot with uh, what is typically known as the Christian calendar or the holy days. Uh, you know, We don't typically go through the Christian calendar and preaching, for instance. We don't follow the lectionary or anything like that. I think that Romans 14 allows for some of those things. Uh, but certainly not necessary. There's nothing in the New Testament about them. There's nothing that validates the idea of celebrating all kinds of special days. But with next week being Easter, I thought it would be appropriate for us to talk for a moment about Palm Sunday, uh, which is, in fact, this day on the Christian calendar. And so today is a special day because there are people all over the world today that are honoring Christ specifically upon his coming into the city of Jerusalem and being honored as the king, as the Messiah. So we're going to be talking about that this morning and uh, answering some questions like, why is this called Palm Sunday on the Christian calendar? Why is there such a thing as Palm Sunday if it isn't part of Christian teaching? And, and uh, what is this tradition all about? And then there is the question, of course, what does Margaret Tidland have to do with Palm Sunday? And you know that I'm going to be able to draw a connection. Otherwise, I wouldn't bring it up. And indeed, I can draw a connection. Jason, are you ready with the uh, PowerPoint? Thank you, sir. I want to go through a story this morning, and it really is a story that has to do with Israel and where this notion of Messiah and kingship came from. Look at this passage from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 through 16, and then 27 through 29. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. you will come from your, he will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. And when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I re removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established 
forever. Now, this discussion is taking place with reference to David. David had wanted to build the temple. And he said, why is it that I'm living in a house of cedar and the temple is a tent out here? And so he wanted to build a home for God. And God said, no, I'm not going to have you do that. But I do want to talk a bit about you as the king. So verse 24 says, you've established your people Israel as your own very own forever. And you, O Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you've made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promise so that your name will be great forever. Then men will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to offer you this prayer. O sovereign Lord, you are God, your words are trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, O sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing the house of your servant will be blessed forever. So there is the notion of the temple being established, the kingship being established, God's presence with his people being established, and God was going to fulfill this vision for Israel. Now we jump ahead to 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 32 through 40. It says, King David said, Call in Zadok the priest... Nathan the prophet and Benaiah son of Jehoiada. This is near the end of David's reign. So David has been promised that there will always be a kingship. His kingdom will last forever. And he's now going to pass on this kingship to his son. So he, verse 33, he said to them, Take your Lord's servants with you and set Solomon, my son, on my mule, my own mule, and take him down to Gihon. There have Sadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel, blow the trumpet and shout, Long live King Solomon. Then you are to go up with him and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. So Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the king, so declare it. As the Lord was with my Lord the King, so may he be with Solomon to make his throne even greater than the throne of my Lord King David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, the Carathites and the Pelathites went down and put Solomon on King David's mule and escorted him into Gihon. So you can get this picture here. David is passing on the kingship to his son Solomon. They put Solomon on a donkey, on a mule, and then they take him into Gihon so that this is representative of this new king that's going to be ruling over Israel. And the idea was that the kingship is being passed down just as God said there would always be this king on David's throne. So uh, Zadok the priest, where, where am I here? Where did I stop? Verse 39, Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon. Then they shouted the trumpet and all the people shouted, long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him playing flutes and rejoicing greatly so that the ground shook with the sound. So the king is anointed. He's on the donkey. Everyone sees that the kingship is being passed on. This is a wonderful time in the history of Israel. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You've kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you've promised and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. So the promise is being kept. Solomon says, I'm now reigning on the throne. David said this, would, or God said to David this would happen. And Solomon is saying, this is now happening for me. 
Verse 25. Now, Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, You shall never fail to have a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons are careful in all they do to walk before me as you've done. And now, O God of Israel, let that word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. Now, there's an important line here. If you look in the middle of verse 25, it says, um, let the promises you made to to him when you said, uh, the idea is these will come true, when you said you shall never fail to have a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons are careful in all they do to walk before me as you have done. And so there seems to have been a condition placed on the notion that there would always be a king serving after David. And the condition is that the sons are going to walk as David did. Now that's quite a condition. The people are supposed to follow, the king is supposed to follow, after David. And I think there's an implication here, and the implication is, what happens if they don't? If they don't, there's at least the possibility that the kingship is not going to continue. So, that's in fact exactly what happens. What happens in the history of Israel, as you can see from the map, there are 12 tribes. There are actually 10 tribes in the northern kingdom and two tribes in the south. I I won't take the time to point to that, but you can see Judah there next to the Dead Sea and then Benjamin immediately above that. And it's Judah and Benjamin that are the two tribes in the south. There are ten tribes in the north. Well, because the kings did not do what God wanted them to do, there's first of all the divided kingdom, so that there are ten tribes in the north that become effectively a different nation than the tribes in the south. But then, because they didn't do what God wanted them to do, we have this period that happens in Israel's history known as the exile. And with the exile, God essentially punishes Israel and the kings for not doing what God wanted them to do. And it looks like things are bad. It looks like with the ten tribes in 722 being carried off to Nineveh into exile and then with the two tribes in 586 being carried off to Babylon, it looks like there may never be again a king on David's throne because the kings had not done what God wanted them to do and God took the kingdom away from them. But God wasn't done with his people. And so in Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 11, we read this, which is actually a messianic prophecy, a prophecy of the coming of the king. And it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. And so what's happening here is that God is saying, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something new, something radical, something different. The exiles come and the people are carried off to Babylon. And it looks like there's no hope. But God says that he's going to send one who is going to again 
be the king of Israel. And notice the language. What's going to be the sign that this one is going to be the king? Well, one of the signs is that he's going to be placed upon this mule. He's going to be placed upon this donkey and is now going to be representative of and serve uh, God as God's person, God's king in the world again. So a messianic hope begins to be developed within Israel. Now, look at this passage. The passage in which Jesus begins to specifically reflect the kingship that God had predicted would be his. Luke 19, verses 28 through 37. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owners asked, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road comes, uh, goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. And then the story continues. This is the same incident in the Gospel of John. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches, it says, and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples didn't understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. There's the story. The story of one who comes into the world. You can turn that off, Jason. Thank you, sir. The story of one who comes into the world as God's representative to say that things are about to change. Israel has gone into captivity and they've been there a long time. And even after they came back from captivity, it was still the Greeks or the Syrians or the Egyptians or the Romans. Somebody was always superintending Israel. So that even after the new temple was built with Zerubbabel, Still, when they came back, there was always someone over Israel and there was never the freedom. There was never the reign of the king. There was never God's glorification. There was never the presence of the kingdom of God. For centuries, they went without the rule of God. Even though God had said, I'm going to put a king on your throne and he's going to reign forever. There will always be a king there. But the fact is, there wasn't. Until Jesus, Messiah, comes into the world and fulfills the prophecy. Now you might think to yourself, that's a great story, Kelly. What does it have to do with us? I'll tell you what. It has this to do with us. Today, we're honoring a lady who for 
76 years of her life. I say 76 because she was baptized when she was 14. It was interesting, Tom, that you mentioned the Baileys during your class time. J.C. and Wilford Bailey were two who continued to preach and teach Jesus in Saskatchewan for a long time. And when Margaret was 14 years old, she went to a meeting that Wilford Bailey and J.C. Bailey had put together, and she went and she heard the gospel of Jesus. And in response, she gave her life to Christ and she was baptized. And so for the last 76 years, she's been living her life out in Jesus. And the connection with the story today is this. It's only because Jesus is the king. It's only because Jesus is Messiah and because he's established his reign. It's only because there is a new day and a new age of which we're part that Margaret has the chance to do for the last 76 years what she did. You know, if you don't know this lady's story, you need to know it. In 1952, she and her husband came to Calgary with one son, Elroy. And for the next 40 years, they continued to have children in their home as foster children. Child after child after child came to live with them. And Ray and Margaret took care of them. The reason they did that, and I, I, I called Margaret this week and I said, tell me this story. And she did. And she said the reason we did that was because these children needed homes. And it seems so obvious to say that. But the reason they needed homes was because they didn't have family around them. And to not have family around them and to not have anybody care for them, that's not in line with the kingdom of God. That's not in line with what Jesus wants for our lives. And so Ray and Margaret started taking children into their homes and for their whole adult lives, they cared for kids. God takes the lonely and he puts them in families, the psalmist says. And that's what he did with so many. And the thing that drove Ray and Margaret to do that was the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in their lives but also the presence of the king. Because it's a new world. It's a new day in which we live, when we live in the presence of God. When Messiah has come and said, I'm bringing a new day. I, I'm going to bring freedom for the captives. I'm going to preach good news to the poor. I'm going to bring the new jubilee in which people will be free under God to live and be what God wants them to be. And there really isn't anything else that really drove Margaret to do that. Other than the fact that Jesus came as the fulfillment of the prophecy in 2 Samuel 7 that said, I will put a king on the throne and he will always be there. And Jesus came to fill that prophecy and he reigns today. And if he reigns today, it means that you and I have a chance to do in the kingdom of God exactly what Margaret and Ray have done. To sow the seeds of the kingdom around us everywhere. And we all have to ask that question. Do we go about sowing the seeds of the kingdom? Do we preach good news to the poor? Do we proclaim freedom for the captives and recovery of sight to the blind? Do we take lives 
where people need family and place the lonely in families as Margaret has done. I hope we do. You and I have a responsibility, a blessed responsibility, a wonderful opportunity to do something in our world that is perfectly in line with what God is doing. If there's anything that God is doing in our world today, it is fulfilling His kingdom, bringing about the good things in our world that the kingdom was to bring about. And we have a chance to contribute to that every day of our lives. Every time you find someone lonely, you have a chance to do something about it. Every time you find someone in need, you have a chance to do something about it. Every time that you hear of a broken life, you have an opportunity to help put that life back together through the proclamation of the Lord Jesus and of the risen King and give to those people that truth about Messiah and what God is doing in our world. You have that opportunity. Praise the Lord that He blesses us with that chance. This morning, I just wanted to encourage you to seize those opportunities. Take advantage of those opportunities. The chances that God gives you to sow the seeds of the kingdom. You don't have to sow it alone because the king is still on the throne. And he is always there blessing us so that when we work to sow those seeds of the kingdom in our world, he is right there with us. Was he not with Margaret when she did all the good things that she did in her life? The good good things that she continues to do and the way that she continues to bless people. Is the king not with her every time she comes in here on a Sunday morning and those bright eyes and that big smile look at you and you melt because this woman is so sweet and so wonderful? Is that not the case? It is. And that's because the king works in her life. And I praise the Lord that he does. Well, We have kind of a special uh, thing for Margaret today in that Margaret's children are here. And uh, one of the things that we wanted to do was have them come up and join her here and surround her because, because they, as much as anyone, have received the great blessing that this woman has been in so many lives. And when she has sown the seeds of the kingdom... It's to these especially that the kingdom has come. And so if, if you folks would come and join me up here and join Margaret, that would be wonderful. Bef- just before you come, though, hold on for a sec, because there are some flowers. Where are the flowers? They're in the back. Larry, could you just bring... Sorry, go ahead and stand up. I didn't mean to just shut you down there, Elroy. We have some flowers, and we want each of uh, Margaret's children that are here to bring these flowers up and give these to Margaret today. I called Mary this week and and described for her what we wanted to do, and I could not control myself. I cried with her. Mary, I'm so sorry. I felt terrible. I I got on the phone with her, and I started telling her what we wanted to do, and I couldn't pull it together. I'm I'm, I'm on this phone talking to this woman that I've never met in my life, and I'm just sobbing. Oh, you're going to come and get Margaret Flowers. (laughs) Oh, it's going to be good. (laughs) And I just couldn't, couldn't hold it together. 
Is it a little bit much for you there? (laughs) This is the epitome of the word overwhelmed. (laughs) We are so grateful that you can be with us this morning to honor your mother. She is a woman who is worthy of honor. Thank you very much for coming and joining us. And Margaret, I pray that God continues to bless you in this world. You have been such a fitting servant of Christ. It's just such a blessing to have you in our church. I can't hold it together. Is that right? Okay, I'm sorry. I got that fact wrong. See, I, I thought it was just Elroy that came in 52. Marilyn was with them by then too, so I apologize. Her memory's sharp. Mine not so good. One of these days, one of these days, Margaret is going to find that hill. And I heard somebody else say that when you get to the top of that hill, there is a great vista on the other side. And I pray it's a long time before you find the hill. But but when you do, there's going to be a great vista. When God's ready. Amen, sister. I love you very much. You're so precious. Yeah, we should give her a hand. Let's pray. Holy Father, the only reason that any of this can take place this morning is because you have placed your king on his throne. You have fulfilled the prophecy. Messiah has come and transformed our lives and is in the process of transforming our world Through us, God, as you work through us, as your ambassadors in this world. Father, I pray that you'd help us to represent you well. Help us to take into your world the message about the king. And we praise you, Jesus, this morning for being our king. Thank you, God, for giving us people like Margaret who listen to the voice of the king and honor him as her savior. It's through Christ we pray. Amen. Let's continue to sing, please. Remain standing.